Hey, Poison Pals. Welcome back to another episode of That Shit is Poison, hosted by Harini Bot. Co-hosted by <laughs> Megan Gesner. <laughs> Welcome back. This is another episode with us two. How are you guys doing, Poison Pals, on this week? Yeah. How's everyone feeling after a... Well, okay. For us, it's after Memorial Day. Mm. Uh, but by the time this drops, it's going to be way after Memorial Day. But uh, Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> yes, um, Memorial Day yeah. weekend. What did you end up doing, Megan, for Memorial Day weekend? Uh, my weekend was actually pretty chill. I think the only day I really did activities was on Saturday. And mm-hmm. I did like brunch with nice. friends. And we just kind of like stayed out and just kept like bouncing from restaurant to restaurant sort of I thing. I love that. And then, I, and then you know, the yeah. overcast. Mm, yeah. Plus, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. Without outing myself. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know, I, I went home sleepy. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's went one thing. Sleepy. The weather has been a little... Mm, topsy-turvy but that's okay we went to big bear my my dad had this brilliant idea like genuinely brilliant ideas like we should get out for the long weekend so we booked a cabin in big bear we definitely chose it for the inside interior and not the outside because when we went when we pulled up it was the tiniest little shack but boy it was gorgeous inside (laughs) it was so beautiful so so we just stayed inside and then if we had to go outdoors we drove to like the lake and enjoyed the lake that way but my parents, they wanted to go kayaking because it was a really gorgeous day. Mm. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, fine. We can go kayaking. My parents have gone kayaking maybe three or four times now. And okay. still, still, I was extremely nervous because, and I even mm. told Dave, I was like, should we split up and you mm. go with my dad and I go with my mom because I don't trust those yeah. folks. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Dave's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. They'll be okay. So we get out yeah. to the water and oh, me no. and Dave are like far off. We're like already in the middle of the lake and they're still right. at the dock paddling in place. Eventually they get out. But I kid you not, Megan, every time I looked back, they were in the rocks. <laughs> <laughs> there was like one rocks. I was like, oh. you guys have to, because they don't, you know what, when you're kayaking, yeah. if you want to go right, you have to paddle on your left mm-hmm. side and like so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. not understanding yeah. that. So every time I looked back, yeah. they were literally hitting the rocks every single time and like did not know how to get oh. out of it. So then I, we had to be like, we're going to reroute, go back to the start. And then we split up and then they enjoyed their yeah, they yeah, enjoyed yeah. themselves oh that is so endearing but also like I feel so bad to hear that um it's very endearing and I, I like visualizing it and uh and my I was gonna ask like when you guys were off in the distance before you ended up splitting up yeah. with them like when you're off in the distance did you hear like yelling or anything coming from their boat well I mean <laughs> or frust- frustrated sounds I, I, yes yes but also poison pals if you guys remember Megan if you remember I think it was on one of the early podcasts mm-hmm. I talked about how my dad mm-hmm. never walks down the stairs he runs everything he, has, he does he has to do it real <laughs> fast and that's exactly why he was messing up on the water my mom was rowing really slow he was rowing at like 70 miles per hour and they were just going nowhere he's like he's like, <laughs> like helicoptering those paddles yes, yes. <laughs> like trying to road runner them or something exactly your mom's like, I don't there was zero technique involved it was just one it was just one mode nope. it was just fast that is so funny no coordination no nothing. coordination okay so who was who was sitting in the back because oftentimes if i'm in mm-hmm. a, a paired seated canoe or a kayak yeah um i'm not saying the back person takes all the blame but they are definitely the person to take control because i i like to sit in the back and i'm like if i feel like 
the person in the front is struggling, whatever. I'm like, I'm here right. as your base to take control. Correct. I'm the rudder. Exactly. You know what I mean? No. So who's, who is in the back? My dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I, I will take oh, the blame no. from you, Megan. I 100% agree <laughs> or will say the person in the back yeah. is responsible for the success or failure yeah. of the, the kayak I agree. experience. I agree entirely. So after yeah. that, like I went in the back with my mom, then Dave went in the back with my dad. And then after the kayak, I debriefed with Dave. I was like, how was it? Who, what was the real problem? And he's like, she's mm-hmm. like, dude, your dad was going so fast. I had to be like, we got to slow down. Just stop. Just stop. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'll take over from yeah. here. <laughs> that is so funny. But it ended up wow. being a good time. What's, what is, what causes your father's <laughs> sense of urgency? Like, I don't know. You know, it's like, because I can understand on some level when I kayak, I do want to do it for the workout for like, you know, showing like I can move this boat or whatever. It's also like can be a leisurely recreational thing, especially if you're doing it Memorial Mm -hmm. Day weekend Mm -hmm. in Big Bear. Like, where is he trying to go? You know what I mean? Like, where, where is he trying to get to That's so funny. on the river or on the lake? Exactly. There's, there's nowhere. He's going nowhere. But it was fun. That it was is... a good time. Minus that. What a great story. I appreciate you telling me that. Yeah, it was a good time. I feel bad. I feel because I so respect Papa B, but I think this is like one of his funniest qualities. Uh, just always he's in always a in a rush. There's nowhere to be, but he's always got to be in a rush to go somewhere. Shall That's we? Awesome. Okay. We shall. Let us All right, commence. let's commence. Megan. It is time for you to pick your poison. So what is it going to be this week? So I hope, Poison Pals, that you all enjoyed that fun and carefree story that we were just talking about, about Harini's father, and got your laughs in. Because I will say, the story I'm about to share today is pretty morbid, and it does involve a child death. So Mm. just, you know... Mental, I wanted to mentally prepare you all for that because the stuff I think this is one of the first times I was looking through um, like my sources and my research where I had like an actual well I've had these reactions before but I had like a visceral reaction to some of the language Mm. and oh like this actually makes me not feel good but I'm gonna share Mm. it with you all today (laughs) is it from is it out of your poison handbook it is not this is I think in the world of like true crime stories like people people who are really into like true crime and Mm -hmm. for example true crime daily series featuring chris hansen like if you're into that you probably know about this story like this is this is you know our last couple of episodes have been more like Mm sciencey based or Mm -hmm. not really going into murder but today is like a true crime murder story Mm, all right i Um, love it into it so this story is new to me, okay. but it might be actually quite famous and familiar to a lot of listeners. Cool. So if, if it is, uh, well, I apologize that I'm t- retelling it, but oh, I think yeah. the toxicology aspect is pretty interesting. So. Awesome. Anyways. I'm so excited. Okay, go ahead. So here we go. So today I will be talking about the murder of Garnet Spears. Mm, is that right? Name no. Ring a bell to you? Okay. Ooh, okay. All right. I'm, I'm excited. So before I go into the story, let me list my sources. I got information from the Washington Post. I did look at the True Crime Daily. It's a three-part like short YouTube series mm. from True Crime Daily featuring Chris Hansen that actually they do a coverage of the story. So if you oh. wanted a very abbreviated version with like actual video details, you can go watch that on YouTube. USA Today, The Journal News, Archives of Disease in Childhood, mm. and I also got information from the following journals, Nutrients. That's just the name of the <laughs> journal which I love. It's just called Nutrients. <laughs> Child Abuse and Neglect mm. Journal and Forensic Science International Journal. Wow, I didn't know there was so a whole journal on just child abuse. I I mean, I 
didn't know it off the top of my head, yeah. but I think it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's multiple journals that are dedicated to uh, child abuse Dang. and neglect. So anyways. All right. All right. So here we go. Okay. On January 23rd, 2014, mm. uh, Garnet Paul Thompson Spears was just five years old when he passed away at the Maria Ferrari Children's Hospital in the suburban hamlet of Valhalla, New York. Okay. Five years old, a child. From the moment of his birth, Garnet was doomed to a life of hospital visits, incessant illnesses, and feeding tubes. According to his mother, Lacey Spears, who is going to be a big feature in this story, oh, man. <laughs> when Garnet was only, this age is kind of disputed depending on the source, okay. but when Garnet was only nine days old, some sources say five days old, he had severe, he had a severe fever and Lacey said to the doctors he wasn't eating. And this was diagnosed by physicians at the time as Garnet was a child with a failure to thrive. So that's like an official diagnosis, which is you fail, failure to thrive. So at 10 weeks old, he's brought into the hospital again because his mother, Lacey, says, oh, his breathing had stopped. And the doctors at the time noted that there was an inexplicable climb in his sodium levels, hmm. like his sodium levels in his body. Yeah. And during this checkup, his sodium levels were listed as 180 milliequivalents per liter, where the normal range for infants is 140 wow. milliequivalents per liter. Or it's yeah. technically 135 to 140. Yeah, yeah. But his was at Garnett's sodium level at 10, 10 uh, weeks old was 180. Holy shit. The doctors were like scratching their head like, what's causing that? So that's just like an, an instance of one of his hospitalizations okay. early on in his life. Okay. Mm -hmm. At eight to nine months old, so still in his first year of, of life, mm -hmm. Lacey, I would almost say shopped around for this, but she was so convinced that Garnet was not eating. Like he she was she was holding on to this like he's a failure to thrive child. His he, he has no appetite, he's not eating. So she actually had him surgically get a feeding oh tube God. in his stomach uh, called the G tube. Yeah. G tube. Yeah where nutrients go directly into the abdomen Ugh. via a hanging bag, a bottle, or a right. syringe. And the reason why I said shopped around is because doctors, apparently she went to many doctors, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were like, well, we don't really feel that. Like, we don't think that his appetite isn't there. Like, he seems biologically healthy right. and typically developing. There's no reason to give him this feeding tube. And it wasn't until, like, finally one doctor, after meeting with many, many specialists, was like... Okay, we're going to give him the two. <sighs> Megan, right? this is already hard to hear. <laughs> this is yeah. horrible. Okay. So I think around the same time, he also goes in for a hospitalization to go undergo an additional surgery that prevents regurgitation because Lacey is saying, hey, he has no appetite. He's not eating, but I want to make sure that he's not vomiting or regurgitating any foods, making sure stuff's in his stomach. So at a young age, he undergoes this like esophageal surgery that prevents him from vomiting. So what that means is that he's in a position for the rest of his life that he can only be fed through his abdomen and whatever's put in his stomach cannot exit. What? So just keep that in okay, mind. What? Keep that in mind, okay? Okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Two things. Two things. Yeah, go ahead. Who? who yes, yes. What kind of doctor? Yeah, who mm. did this surgery for him? Like, Who would have said yes to this? I'm assuming that this mom is very persistent and relentless in mm -hmm. having the surgery done second question is there a father mm -hmm. figure involved at all in this 
Okay. Mm. If you're going to talk about it later, don't okay. talk about it now. Yeah. All good questions. I will tell you right now in terms of the, because I had the same thoughts of like, what doctor actually agreed? Yeah. You know, like clearly she had to continuously ask different physicians if this mm. could happen. Based on my research, I could not find okay. that. Like a lot of the articles that you're going to see about this case of Garnet and his mother, mm-hmm. Lacey, a lot of it's focused on her. I think if I was more diligent and tried to look into like medical mm-hmm. records or if, if there is such a thing as like a public medical records database or forensic files database or something, I'm sure that would come up as to like, who's the actual doctor who allowed this at such a young, you know, when Garnet was just an right. So I don't have the answer for that. Yeah. And I, and I don't know how she was able to convince them because what you see in a lot of the language in these journals and the mm-hmm. news articles and stuff is that a lot of the doctors kind of were scratching their heads at any of the ailments that she brought forward it was like, Hey, my son is going through this and this. And they're like, we don't understand why you feel this way, but we can definitely monitor sure, him. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So, so I, I don't know mm. how she was able to get one doctor to finally like do surgery on him. How old is Lacey at this time? Do we know? So Lacey, I think she's about 21. She's 21 wow, she she's had, young. when she had Garnet. Yeah, she's young. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so Continue. like a little background <laughs> on them. At the time of Garnet's birth, they were living in Alabama. And then mm-hmm. I think sometime within his first year of life, they moved to Florida. And that's where okay. he had probably, according to her social media... Mm-hmm. Lacey states that Garnet had over like 23 hospital visitations in his first year of life, but it's definitely more than that. Whoa. Given what is out there to <laughs> what the yeah, journalists yeah. have stated that he definitely went mm-hmm. to the hospital much more than that. My God. So anyway, so yeah, so like that's also another important part of the story, which I was going to bring up later, but sure. just keep in mind that Lacey, she is pretty prolific on social media when it comes to documenting. Okay her son's ailments and illnesses. She even starts a blog called Garnet's Journey or something like that. Oh, man. That ends up getting tons of followers and like support for her <sighs> when she's saying these things about, oh, he's gotten his surgery or, right. you know, it's another hard day. He's in the hospital again, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Other times he's been in the hospital, like the instances that are noted in the articles that I read, I think at two years old, he goes to the hospital because he had a severe staph infection and apparently blood is leaking from his ears and nose. At the age of three, so this is in 2012, Garnett's born in 2008. By 2012, they've already been in Florida for some time. So now, you know, Garnett's a three-year-old, Lacey's Mm -hmm. about 24 They move from Florida to a neighborhood in Chestnut Ridge, New York, called the Fellowship Community, Mm -hmm. which is a self-sustained farm-to-table intergenerational community where (laughs) young families, basically, they focus on the caregiving of elders and the disabled. But it's like, it's a community that's based on a farm. And it's just like sustainable living, take care of your elders. Mm -hmm. It's all like volunteer, but you get to live on the farm together sort of thing. So it's kind of a nice thing. But the reason why she seeks this place out and ends up moving there, the reason why Lacey does this is because she's like, oh, I feel like this is a good place because of their holistic approach to food Mm -hmm. and health. This would be a good place for Garnett to live to alleviate his inappetite or food sensitivities. So they end up moving out to New York, rural New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. After settling into the community, however, 
the neighbors are super, super welcoming. And they're like, hey, welcome, welcome. We recognize that you're a single mom. And I will get to the dad part in a second because mm-hmm. I know you asked that. Like, recognize you're a single mom. We recognize you moved here because your your son has digestive problems or whatever. He has right. health ailments. And they all also knew her through her blog, too. Like, oh, they okay. were like, oh, like, we see what she talks about on her mm-hmm. blog. So, you know, we're here as a community to, to support her. Sure. But as they start to settle into the community... Garnett, of course, goes on play dates or goes to people's houses Mm -hmm. and other families kind of observe his behavior. And the one thing that felt very weird to them was, you know, based on what Lacey says and what her blog states and what she tweets and Mm. all these things, she's insistent that he doesn't eat. But there's observations from these parents who are doing the play dates with him. Mm We took him to a diner and he was literally voracious. Oh like he God. ate everything. Ugh. You know what I mean? Like he's, he seems like a normal, thriving, happy five-year-old who has an excellent appetite. In fact, you know, almost seems like he's starving. Sort exactly. Of and so they're like, something's a little bit off here. Like something's weird. We don't feel like he's sick. Right. That suspicion kind of subsides temporarily because one day Lacey posts on her blog Oh, it's the one year anniversary of Garnet's father's death. One year without Papa Blake, who mm-hmm. died in like a tragic accident. She writes about this man, Blake, who apparently was her fiance and also a police officer. Okay. And she's just posting, oh, yeah, like one year since his death. Mm-hmm. And so the community is like, OK, maybe they're just having a hard time. We're not going to look look into this further. Sure. So that's just like a temporary reason why the community didn't like push anything. Uh-huh. But they still are very observant of, you know, he doesn't seem sick. They didn't understand why Lacey was saying that he's sick. So Mm -hmm. anyways, Lacey and Garnet, they live within that, the fellowship community for almost two years. So they moved there in 2012. They lived there for over two years and everything seems good. And a witness testimony pretty much is like, Garnet seemed like he was super healthy and thriving. But then at some point in early 2014, he is hospitalized again. And he's hospitalized at the Nyack Hospital following symptoms of a high fever, severe headache, and convulsions. Oh, God. Yeah. Lacey tells doctors that Garnett was experiencing seizures. And that's Mm. ultimately why she's like, he needs to come Mm -hmm. in. When the doctors hook up the EEG, Mm -hmm. and this is important, they actually ask for Lacey's consent on this. But they're like, hey, when we hook up this EEG, we like to also have a video recording with it Mm -hmm. to observe if he has seizures or any signs of seizures okay so he's attached to the eeg plus there's like hospital recording of the room of it like live of the room that he's in and lacy lacy's like yeah that's that's fine when they hook him up to the eeg there's no sign of irregularities like nothing (laughs) nothing happens and he's (laughs) yeah he's admitted on a friday they have him observed through saturday And then on Sunday morning, the doctor comes to Lacey and is like, hey, we feel that Garnet seems like a perfectly healthy child. There's been no irregularities on these readings Mm. and he can be discharged. So he's admitted on Friday. Sunday comes around and and the doctors and nurses are like, we're going to prepare him for discharge. Okay. so the nurses and doctors pretty much they leave the room Mm -hmm. literally within 10 minutes after that news. They come back in. Garnet has fallen deathly ill. (gasps) They do tests. Garnet's sodium levels, which were normal at 138 when he was admitted, had risen within that, those 10 Jesus. minutes. 
had risen to a dangerous level of 182. Oh, my God. The doctors are immediately suspicious because they straight up are like, this is not metabolically possible. It's just Mm -hmm. not. It's not that they're suspicious of Lacey. Oh, okay. They just think something is oh. afoot, right? It's just protocol. It's just protocol for them to be like, something is off here. We need to call authorities. There's no way this could happen. So they're not really exactly pointing fingers at Lacey, but they're also not not okay. pointing so they're, fingers at her. They're you not thinking it's yeah. just, it's absolutely her, but they're just like, oh, it could be her, but it also could be someone else. Correct. Okay. Correct. So they call authorities. During this time, though, Garnet is airlifted to the Maria Ferreri Children's Hospital. They put him on life support there, but he doesn't recover. I think he's declared brain dead in less than 24 hours. And then that's because the high sodium levels had caused Garnet's brain to swell. (sighs) And so he he passes away. All right. Yeah. It's mm. so (laughs) let's see. So during this time, during his hospitalization, both at the Nyack Hospital and the Children's Hospital, authorities are already at the hospital and they start interviewing Lacey. She's described as very calm and and very knowledgeable of medical jargon, right? Mm-hmm. Like she seems very in control. And she even details a little bit of Garnet's medical history. But the one thing that tips detectives off in terms of like something's amiss here with this mm-hmm. woman is that she references the dead father that she had posted about in the blog, Mm -hmm. this man named Blake, and they end up looking into that, right? Because that's like, they have to check their sources. Right. What they find is that this man, Blake, is alive (gasps) and was never Garnet's father. He was just a man that, that yes, is on the police force in Alabama. Mm -hmm. That's where she knew him. But they had only gone on like a single date that wasn't (laughs) even... There was no intimacy or anything. Garnet's real father is a man named Chris Hill from, I think, Alabama as well, who Lacey had very intentionally kept out of their lives. Yeah. Just to have him stay separated from her son, Mm -hmm. essentially their son. And so the detectives discover this and they're like, she lied about this, which means she's capable of being untruthful about other stuff. Right, right. So that's like their initial red flag. So then in addition to this... This is like within the the few hours during and after Garnet's passing. They get a call from one of Lacey's neighbors. They, as in the authorities, get a call from one of Lacey's neighbors at the fellowship. And the neighbor tells them like, hey, Lacey has just called me from the hospital. And she's instructed me to go into her house and throw away one of Garnet's feeding bags. (gasps) Right then and there, the authorities are like, we needed a warrant. We need a warrant to go check her house right now. So they get that warrant. They go to the house to collect evidence and they find the feeding bags. They collect two different Mm -hmm. feeding bags. When they run tests on it, there's extreme levels of sodium in the feeding bags. One of the feeding bags is described to have had the equivalent of like 69 salt packets in it. And they even found one of those like sea salt containers, like the round Mm -hmm. cylindrical containers with the little metal lip amongst garnett's medications like where she stored his medication there was literally just like a big thing of salt just with it this lady man so as they start to collect this evidence and start to kind of construct who is Lacey Mm -hmm. and what is her relationship with her child and what is her backstory and what is her history they 
pretty much deduce that she oh there's one (laughs) there's one more bit Mm -hmm. of evidence that's actually pretty damning but they start to build a story of she may have been poisoning her child over time sort of thing so here's the last most damning Mm -hmm. piece of evidence remember that eeg with the video (laughs) yes with it okay as part of collecting evidence the doctors and nurses i think a couple days later actually tell the authorities like hey when he was at the Nyack hospital being tested for seizures, we actually had a videotape mm-hmm. going. And they're like, oh, we need to <laughs> <Right>. see that. <laughs> right. Because his mother, Lacey, was in the room yeah. the whole time. So they review the tape. And this is where I was like, I don't really need to see this. I don't oh, want to watch this. they have footage of this? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. They have footage. Okay. So I'll describe it. Yeah, yeah. If you want to go and watch the footage, I'm talking to like everyone, Poison mm-hmm. Pelsner. If you want to go and watch the footage, you can. No. I'll let you know. While it's not violent in the sense of how we might define violence, whether that's like graphic or gruesome or whatever, I would say that it's graphic to me. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely. So I'll, I'll describe it. But like I said, if you, the true crime daily shows the whole footage. So if you want to watch that on YouTube, you can. Anyways, they review the footage and it shows the exit of the nurses. Like the nurses and doctors leave after saying like, you know, he's ready for discharge, right? And then you see Lacey get up and take Garnet by the hand. They go off camera to the bathroom. So this actually happens off camera. They go off camera to the bathroom. Within, I don't know, like less than a minute, they come back on camera. And, you know, Garnet crawls into bed and he's sitting there. And then you see the reaction. You see his body start to react to whatever had just happened off camera. You see him start to dry heave. And kind of bury his face in the bed Mm -hmm. because he cannot, he can't throw up. Oh my God. Because of the surgery that he had. He's literally trying to (sighs) expel whatever just happened to him, but he cannot. Oh my God. And it's, it's really horrible to watch. So I almost feel like, I know I said, if you want to watch it, you can. But part of me is like, I don't condone watching it. Yeah. That's torture, man. That is just torture. that's right. horrible oh my god and i also don't condone watching it because i'm like we don't need to see no a child's trauma relived over and over again after their passing but i think it's i don't think it's tricky but i think it's out there because as i said i wouldn't describe it as grotesque yeah or violent by the way that we might mm-hmm. think of it but simultaneously i do think it's extremely violent and oh disturbing, yeah i agree even though there's no physical blood or cuts yeah. or whatever but anyway, even in the true crime daily interview mm-hmm. when the cop is recounting having watched that video, he was like, it was one of the hardest things I had ever seen, literally watching a child get murdered yeah. on video. Yeah, that's what so it was. while what happened off camera happened, what they deduced from it is when she went off camera with him, they believe that's when she dosed him with a high level of sodium into his feeding tube. And then the reaction you see afterwards is the Mm -hmm. symptoms of that. So that was like the third part of evidence. And it's one of those things where in forensics and murder trials and stuff where you never actually see the caregiver harm the kid, but there's enough, what is it? I don't know. Is that circumstantial stuff involved? There's not a lot of doubt. She definitely has been poisoning her son. Okay. So we're almost done with the story part, actually. Do you have any questions? No, but I mean, are you, I don't know if you're going to talk about what this term is called. Mm. Oh, okay. I will. I yeah. will. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
So Lacey isn't arrested until five months after her son's death. So she's arrested on June 17, 2014. I only think that's because they were literally gathering all the evidence that they could before they had good reason to bring her Mm -hmm. in. So I believe during this time they were processing the evidence and looking into Lacey's background because they also needed to figure out more of her character. Some of the things that they learned about Lacey, and they looked all the way back into her formative years, which is, I think, important. According to childhood friends and witness statements from them that they contacted, there were hints that Lacey was a victim of abuse from her Mm -hmm. own family. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Witness statements from childhood friends said that not only did Lacey say that she was abused, but at one point, one of her friend's moms was actually called by, you know, Alabama's equivalent of Child Protective Services to check in on Lacey Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So there is a history there. Over the years, however, as Lacey grew into a preteen to a teenager, high school colleagues of hers, specifically from softball and church, claimed that they would catch Lacey in lies, lies about like her being abused or mal- maltreated and things like that. One example would be Lacey would come hang out with friends and be like, I haven't eaten in the last couple days. And then a friend would very just like very simply be like, I just saw you yesterday mm. eat a hot dog. And then Lacey would be like, oh, oh, um, something, something, something like adjust her lie to fit the story. And then the same thing happened with, I guess at one point she said she told her friends Mm -hmm. that she was pregnant and then something about planning to do an abortion but then the friends caught her in a lie of this abortion clinic doesn't exist or like it doesn't do this or that or whatever and then she would again adjust her lie and be like oh never mind like Mm -hmm. or no i miscarried or something like yeah and these are witness statements that the authorities, the mm-hmm. investigators got from teen friends right. who are now adults. And they're like, yeah, these were some of the yeah. weird, weird yeah. things that Lacey did. Okay. The last kind of weird thing that is noted about her when she was younger, right before she had Garnett at 21, is friends do say she absolutely adored children. That was something that she always loved. She had this American Girl doll that she would literally take with her everywhere and mother. And when she was part of the church, she would volunteer to work the daycare. But there were multiple instances where parents who left their kids at the daycare found out that Lacey would be touting these children Mm. around like her own. Like she would post on MySpace or Facebook with pictures of children that weren't hers. And she would say that she's their mother. (laughs) So stuff like that was happening. And parents were like, we do not want this anymore. And then she finally had her own son, Garnett, at 21. Okay. So that is her history. All right. Because of all of that, investigators suspect that Lacey suffered from what is commonly known, but inappropriately known, as Munchausen Mm -hmm. syndrome by proxy. And I think a lot of people recognize this name. If you are someone who's a diehard for the Real Housewives of New York, you would know this name, Munchausen Syndrome by Proxy. That is a mid-2000s reference. But I want to make very clear that that name is not the appropriate name. Medical professionals do not say that. It's properly called fictitious disorder in the Mm. DSM-5. So I want to be very responsible with this language because... And I'll explain why we try not to use Munchausen syndrome by proxy yeah. as the title yeah. for this behavior. So fictitious disorder in DSM-5 
It's a rare psychological disorder assigned to individuals who falsify illness in themselves or in another person without mm-hmm. obvious gain. So the reason medical professionals try to stay away from the term Munchausen by proxy is because one, that Munchausen, like that whole yeah. terminology, it's long been associated with this concept that the caretakers who demonstrate this behavior have some sort of intentionality behind it, such as being seen oh, as a okay. hero or even profiting off their right. child's illness, right? And this is what we see in a lot of the layman language regarding Lacey's background and treatment of Garnett, right? So all these um, journalists that I'm reading their articles about this case, they all use Munchausen syndrome by proxy mm-hmm. in the language to describe Lacey. But what the psychiatric association, people who actually read the DSM-5 and diagnose through the DSM-5, they want to make clear, we don't have enough research or evidence to properly assign that there's intent behind this behavior. So what I'm trying to say is pop culture wise, remember that Hulu show like The Act, which was the uh, the murder of Dee Dee. Gypsy, you remember Gypsy Rose? Gypsy Rose, she was a child who... Oh yeah, Gypsy and okay, Dee Blanchard. It. It's the story, yeah. Right. So that's probably the most famous story that refers to Munchausen syndrome by proxy. But basically what we know is Gypsy Rose was showcased as like a sickly underdeveloped child mm-hmm. by her mother Dee Dee but it turned out she was totally mm-hmm. normally developing and she ends up with her help with her boyfriend murdering her own mother because of like so, so yeah. many reasons the coping of being held hostage in some way part mm-hmm. of your life mm-hmm. but you know it's up for debate there I know that's a more contentious one but because of stories like that in pop culture people always believe that when these caregivers feign their child's illness it's for some gain. It's some, It's for some sort of personal gain. And in the Dee Dee Blanchard case, you could say that is true because she got money through Gypsy Rose's feigned illness. You know what I mean? Like she, there was some aspect of exploitation. Yeah. Whereas that's not the case for every person mm-hmm. who feigns their child's mm-hmm. illness or creates some sort of fictitious illness for themselves right. or their child. So what the you know, medical community does is like, because it's so varied amongst each person that does showcase this fictitious disorder, we don't want to assign that there is a singular intent for some sort of emotional gain or financial yeah. gain. Does that, yes, that make sense. sense? Yeah. And that's why we try to not use the term Munchausen syndrome mm-hmm. by proxy, because that's affiliated with this concept that they're doing it Correct. for some gain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's hard to prove that. It's only a theory, right? So that's why I'm, I'm going to try to use fictitious disorder Appreciate that. Um, as the title. As I didn't know that, actually. Said. So okay. that was an education for myself <laughs> as well. Yeah. There's another reason that's like a little more uh, black and white as to why we don't use the Munchausen mm-hmm. word or the title is because the person who coined the term, and this was coined in the late 70s by a pediatric professor named Roy Meadows, and he was actually, he ended up being found guilty for professional misconduct and providing misleading evidence uh. and statistics as part of his expert testimony in three high profile Jeez. child murder trials. So basically he was using this Munchausen syndrome by proxy because mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. created that term and that definition. And he used it as an expert testimony, which ended up in these mothers going to jail but they found out retroactively that he totally skewed the data and statistics of his studies 
So because of yeah. his fuck up and arrogance <laughs> and ego, got we also it, try to it, stay away it. from that that uh that diagnosis sense. and definition. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, here's what's kind of unfortunate in terms of the whole how Lacey's trial goes. So Lacey's trial begins on February 3rd of 2015. So she's arrested in 2014, but you know, these things take time. So trial doesn't start until a a year later. She is found guilty of second degree murder on March 2nd of 2015. So it's about a month long process for her to go through trial in her sentencing. The judge actually uses the term Munchausen by proxy as his reasoning for an alleviated sentence for her. So yes, she is found guilty, but he and his statement is like, I recognize that you go through, you Mm -hmm. have this mental illness. Thus the max sentencing is 25 years. We're going to shorten it to 20 years because I think like you have some sort of mental problem, but this is actually a little bit controversial on both the defense and the prosecution side because Lacey is never actually clinically diagnosed with fictitious disorder, ever. Throughout this whole time, starting at the birth of Garnett, throughout the trial, she's never met with a clinical psychiatrist and diagnosed. And why is that? Does I that actually find sense? that a little unusual, because usually in these cases, either the defense or the defense or the prosecution, mm-hmm. will either side will usually present with a psychiatrist to right. do a whole examination. Yeah, great question, and I do have the answer. So... The prosecution actually felt like the evidence that they had got from the investigators was enough to move forward with without a psychiatric evaluation. They were like, Hmm. this is damning. This is all damning enough without the diagnosis. So we're just going to move forward. And so that's why it's weird that ultimately the judge still, you know, used that language and had that influence her sentencing. So... The defense pretty much was like, I don't know why this was part of the sentencing. On their end, they're like, she's still got 20-year sentences and she's charged with second-degree murder. So the defense ultimately loses, right? But the prosecution is like, she should have gotten the full max, you know, full 25 years. Right. So that's just like an interesting little tidbit. But I also think that's this was a highly publicized case. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all these articles about, oh, you know, you know, the, the Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard situation, mm-hmm. those are happened around the same time or was oh, happening around that. the same time, I okay. think. Yeah, so yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of news media outlets out there talking about Munchausen yeah. by proxy or whatever. I just think, you know, on some level, this influenced could be the, the trial, right? Right. If, especially Who happening around the same time. And what you had just told me about you know them not having a psychiatric evaluation i almost feel like the prosecution did not bring that forward thinking Mm -hmm. that if she was officially diagnosed that they would lower her sentence Mm. that's a really good i think you even though that ended up being the case anyway the case anyway right right? yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so that's just like an interesting situation there that's pretty much the story um there's no saving factors in this i mean you could say there was justice in her sentencing. Yeah. But I genuinely think the whole thing is just horrible. Oh, and yeah. I mean, even though we hear that background on Lacey in her formative years mm-hmm. and we hear about like all the weird stuff she did, clearly there is something there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish that there was a psych- psychiatric evaluation Same. because if it, defin- if it definitively was like doctor so-and-so evaluated her and did diagnose her with fictitious disorder, then I could be very comfortable in my 
honestly, like in my, I don't have sympathy or empathy for her. I don't, Mm -hmm. but it's more of a, I am so mindful of how we talk about people with mental health disorders and the unfortunate outcome of the fact of, in this case, it ended up in the murder of her own child. Right. And I want to make clear that for me personally, reading her story, I don't think she wanted to kill Garnett. I think that she wanted to keep him ill. Yeah. And that she, yes, throughout his life, I would define what she did to him as torturous. Torturous to a young child. But there's no but. It's just more of like, I don't think the intent was there for murder. Yeah. Right. I see what you're saying. Like, I think that she, if anything could have her way, always have Garnett by her side always needing her help exactly always needing her caregiving exactly and that's why she kept him ill and that's a little bit that's how i feel about it and that's where people start to go like well isn't that you know she's keeping him ill for her own gain but there's no proof like we can't i can't talk to her or she was never even talked to or evaluated to get that statement from her to be like yes i did have abuse in my own childhood therefore i wanted to make sure i always had my child by my side Mm -hmm. and it makes me feel good when I tweet about his trauma, when people send me support, you know what I mean? Like, right. She's never confirmed that. Yeah. So we can only have theories right. that that's the case. Right. And just to play devil's yeah. advocate on the other side, in some way, because mm-hmm. I was trying to piece it all together as I'm listening to right. you tell the story mm-hmm. and it would help to have that background because what didn't make sense to me or was a little red flag like was when you were saying that there was potential or there was abuse when she was a child. But then she also had this strange thing where she would be caught in these little lies. Right. And it's like right. interesting because that started to build up even with when she had her own child, Garnett, obviously with like mm-hmm. lying about her husband and things like that. And I wonder, yeah. I'm like, what would make someone like that lie? Like considering their background and their horrible experiences that, and right. trauma they experienced as a child, as a young as a young person. Right. And the only thing I can think of, and I'm not a psychiatrist, but if I'm just guessing mm-hmm. as like a human person mm-hmm. <laughs> human being mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. possibly she's doing this because she like you said megan you touched on this just craves mm-hmm. the attention like wants to feel yeah seen and wants to feel like people yeah. are caring for her because she's not getting that at home even if that means right. you know saying these wild lies and who knows she could have seen that at home too we don't know what her parents were like maybe they also lied to get attention and you know you mirror your parents in that way Anyways, again, playing devil's advocate, I think she was playing up to that when she had Garnett as well. Clearly, this whole blog Mm -hmm. situation, it was Mm -hmm. her child was her outlet to gain that attention that she needed. And if that means making her child ill and continuously making him ill for that, I think Mm -hmm. in some ways is that gain for her. Mm -hmm. Whether, you know, like obviously she was not officially diagnosed with fictitious disorder. I think it's reasonable to argue that these are the steps that one takes to get there right yeah but i just wonder that could be one aspect of her gain is just seeking checking that box off for the right. attention that she gets from yeah. her child no i i which is just no all sad. It's, it's definitely <laughs> all sad but i also i don't disagree with you i think what i'm trying to clarify in terms of being just responsible in terms of how we talk about you know, psychiatric health and stuff like that, because I'm, I'm on the same mm-hmm. page, Rini. Mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, there was also a Washington post article that did interview like a, you know, a psychiatric professional, some, you know, a mm-hmm. person who has the certifications and is a doctor and all that. And they right. were like, you know, I, I do genuinely think that 
the internet, the social media aspect of her talking about her son's health and ailments and all that did give her some sort of remedy to poor self-esteem you know so like that was their observation mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. getting this online support from the community was able right. you know that's something where she was able to suddenly feel good about herself or like to help alleviate yeah. poor self-esteem there's professional yep. opinions out there that do agree with what you just mm-hmm. said and i like i said i don't disagree it's more of like because it's so varied and and also rare remember yeah. this fictitious disorder is extremely yes, so rare, rare. So because it's rare and varied, we just can't make that assumption that it is for gain for every single person. As a totally, as a human totally being, agree. yes, myself, I see this and I'm like, I think she did have some sort of emotional gain from having her son remain ill. Right. So, yeah. I mean, when you look at the, when you're taking the blog and then her child, obviously it's all just like um, speculation at this point. We're just discussing. But when I see that, I think two things. What you had already said is what she got from Mm -hmm. the blog aspect. And you said that she had a lot of followers Mm -hmm. and people clearly sympathizing for her, probably other mothers and whoever, all of the above. What she got from that was a sense of belonging. She felt she was part of this community of people. She felt accepted, which is what we all want, Mm -hmm. right? And from her child, from Garnett, she felt a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Like She felt, like you said, needed, right? That he is ill he needs his mom like she felt like she had some reason and meaning in her life to be there for someone else so it is so heartbreaking like the fictitious disorder Mm -hmm. munchausen syndrome by proxy Mm -hmm. whatever it is just that whole concept Mm -hmm. of what is super rare but can happen Mm -hmm. is all so heartbreaking it's just no one wins nobody Nobody wins wins in this situation and i know some people especially probably parents mothers who have children probably saw this Mm -hmm. going on and i know that there are people with super strong feelings about this and looking at lacy and being like yeah she deserved that 20 plus Mm -hmm. years or whatever you know and and i get that sentiment i do but uh, for me it's it's not that i again not that i don't it's not that i disagree it's just it's like i don't this is this is going to be controversial but i don't doubt that she loved garnett i think she loved her child but I think that whatever she got out of keeping him ill trumped that love to recognize that she was neglecting him, you know, or, or causing him harm. Right. So out of all the articles I read, there was one person interviewed by the cops who was her childhood friend who actually still stands by her to this day. This is the friend whose mother was called to be informed about like the child protective services stuff. And she was, oh, okay. she was just yeah. like, yeah, we were childhood friends and she would stay at my house all the time because of uh-huh. whatever was happening in her own house. And this friend is adamant that, you know, I don't think that she's guilty. But I think when she says that, I think she means I don't think she's guilty in a sense of like she truly meant to kill her kid and harm him and all that. I just mm-hmm. uh, it's an interesting well, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, to that, I would ask. And this was something I wanted to ask earlier. I don't know if there was any information from the sources you looked at, but what, did she have any remorse? Did mm. she show any remorse during the trial? Did she feel sorry that her right, child right. was now gone? Mm-hmm. Was that there? No, that's a that's a great question. I will say that there was one article that talked about like a juror observation mm-hmm. during the trial, and mm-hmm. this person felt she was emotionless, never wow. looked like she had any change in her face or anything in terms of like remorse (laughs) and stuff like that and 
No, I think that's a great question. And I think it's good that that language is out there because then you can kind of make your own, form your own opinions. Yeah. I will say once more, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just very like sensitive to a history of people being maligned for showing no emotions. I know I'm like talking all over the place. Again, I agree with the sentencing. Just know, like know that I agree that she needs help and, you know, should be put in jail and was convicted of second degree murder. I agree with all that. But I always think it's tricky to to gauge someone's intent if they just don't show emotion after their child just died. You know what I mean? That's up for debate. I only say that because one of my favorite podcasts I listen to, which is you're well, wrong, you're wrong about you're, wrong, you're wrong, about, no, wrong about you're wrong about you're wrong about they did a fantastic episode on the dingo ate my baby like that oh culture yeah, yeah, phenomenon. yeah oh my god and, yeah. um, and the whole thing there was the mother was pretty much the mother in that situation was accused of killing her child instead of like a dingo right. actually killing her child. And one of the reasons why the community turned against her is the day that her kid went missing or the days following when her child went missing in the outback, the mother was very calm and not necessarily emotionless, but very calm. And just this is just an example of there is a mother who lost her child. The community felt like she didn't react in a way that they wanted her to react within the news of just losing your child like she wasn't hysterical Mm -hmm. she Mm -hmm. wasn't you know sobbing on the ground she was just super calm at press conferences and being like my child's out there somewhere and i need to remain cool about this she ultimately she was sent to jail but it was found out a dingo actually ate her baby and she was released from jail so what i'm trying to say is because of that one oh my god you're wrong about so basically because of that episode i just try to be like very thoughtful about how people might present themselves in court. I think it's something that is super targeted by the media, but they're in the end of the day, That's like true. everyone reacts a certain way, but I'm going back to what I said of, I agree with how the outcome of this trial was. I'm just saying, I'm not, I'm not basing my opinions on her face. If that makes sure, sense. Sure, sure. That yeah. makes sense. Now I would say, cause I agree with that. I think, I think that that's always something that comes up all the time in true crime especially like like the 911 calls people analyzing the shit out of 911 phone calls to be like oh they didn't react the right way their tone was not right or like they didn't cry the right way you know like there's a million reasons that people give to be like oh my god they they didn't they did it they don't care about their child or right. whoever it was right? right and there's definitely i guess like you would say a science to that there's definitely people that are just there to analyze stuff like that but mm-hmm. at the same time, body language, and body all, language yeah. all of the things, your tone mm-hmm. right after something mm-hmm. traumatic happens. But I agree. Everyone mm-hmm. processes things differently. And I don't and I think actually now when they analyze things like this, it's no mm-hmm. longer something that they really put a lot of weight against as like right. how people react right after something happens. Right. I'm assuming that she was emotional when her child was presumed dead. Yes. Um, I think it is interesting because the trial, like you mentioned, was almost a year later. I wonder why she was so emotionless at that point. I think that's one thing that's a lingering question in my mind. Once again, it's just one juror that said a statement on her facial expressions. So not much we could take away from that. But I'm curious because I know you said that she loved her child. I think she loved her. Mm -hmm. I think she loved her child, but it was misplaced love. Yes, it was. (laughs) 
because I am convinced that she had some sort of disorder, we could say, yes, she loved her child, but in a way that is atypical, you know, mm-hmm. like not mm-hmm. as a typically developing person yeah. might express their love. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I get what you're saying. If, if you want something to something a little more substantial and like kind of evidence based to base your opinions on her further. So instead of like us talking about her body language during the trial mm-hmm. and like how she reacted, you you'd mentioned I'm sure she was distraught when she, her son was declared brain dead at the hospital. Yes, I think there is a, an account of that. Like she was distraught, but during that time of him being at the Nyack Hospital mm-hmm. in the child's facility, there's a social media footprint. She was actually active on Facebook oh. during this time when he was literally dying. No, where she was detailing, oh, he seems like he's recovering, and then that salt injection happens, he goes brain dead, and she's like oh my gosh, my child is dead. Blah, blah. And she's posting on social no. media. So if you want something that kind of have a little more weight uh, into like her <laughs> intentions and stuff, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, definitely. She did. She was active on social media literally <laughs> as her child was dying. So. Oh my God. Okay. There's a little, there's a fact there. Like that's, that's <sighs> dude, a fact. Dude, yeah. dude, what, what are people up to? And also yeah. this is just. Mm-mm. I don't know what kind of health care she had, but mm. 80 plus mm. visits to the hospital. I'm just thinking like that shit is going to yeah. rack up those bills. And she wasn't. Oh, yeah. I, I don't even know if that. she's working because she says she's pretty young. I thought about that. Yeah. That's never talked about in any of these because I recognize like it's more it's more media worthy <laughs> to talk about like a mother poisoning her child yeah. over time. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I did think I'm like Garnet had so many hospital visitations. Mm-hmm in his life i'm like how did she afford that like there's no indication that she was employed no Um, no 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 so maybe it was just something that was paid for by the state well that's what i'm saying that is what i am saying dude because that was something that i thought about a lot when i was on rotations as well because you know you Mm -hmm. get all kinds of people right so you wonder yeah if people cannot afford this $80,000 $80,000 surgery, what do they do? And they don't have good insurance or whatever right. it might be, or they're not, they're in between jobs at the time, whatever it could be. Mm-hmm. I asked mm-hmm. current hospital I was working at, I was like, oh, like what happens at that time? Mm-hmm. We pay for it, you know, as taxpayers. Mm-hmm. We end up paying for mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It has to get paid somehow. So that's what happens. Yeah. And my gosh, yeah. <laughs> like that's, I don't even want to think about yeah, that, that number, that final bill at the end. I, I know, because I'm like, I'm like, the big ones to me, at least in the story are, his feeding tube surgery, mm-hmm. his esophageal yeah. surgery, and the fact that he was all the EEGs and EKGs and the fact that he was airlifted Dude, to another hospital. Yes. Like that's that's that a is bill, a bill. Right? Like you guys, yeah. I mean, I'm pr- I'm sure this is common knowledge by now, but and I'm like on the fence about saying even saying this, but only call 911 if it's seriously an emergency. A medical emergency. The reason why I say that is because that ambulance bill is fifteen to thirty thousand dollars. Just them bringing you, mm-hmm. coming over, and bringing you back to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. They will, they'll get you on that. They don't give a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it just. Let me so tell bad. a real quick. Story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell a quick story. This is not to put my parents to shame. Like I totally get why they do it. They did yeah. it now, though. When I was a child, I was like, "Why did you do this to me?" But you probably heard this story, no. Harini. Have I even told it to the Poison Pals? I might have already said this on the podcast. But basically, when I was in sixth Mm -hmm. grade, I had my knee dislocated. My sister and I were wrestling and kids just get get rowdy. And basically, Manira (gasps) fell on me at a wrong angle and I got my knees dislocated. Plural? So I'm... 
Okay. No, just like, <laughs> like just damn one me. me. <laughs> and how how it happened was I was actually lying okay. on my stomach, Fuck. and then I felt the weight on my knee. And I knew something was wrong. I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't move because yeah, I'm on my yeah. stomach lying down. And I was like, I don't want to shift yeah, my legs smart at all kid. because something's wrong. And I'm in, I'm in a ton <sighs> so of pain. Smart. So I'm wailing. I'm crying. I'm wailing. <laughs> my mother, she legit did not come up for so long. And then she finally did because she was like, Manira and I, I had a, a lot of temper tantrums yeah. as a kid. And Manira and I are just like naturally loud right. as children, yeah. mostly me. <laughs> and my mom finally came up and she was like, Honestly, I was waiting for you to stop crying, but oh, it just kept going. God. So that's why I got worried. She, you <laughs> know, not that she's neglectful. It's just not that my mom's neglectful. It was just like we were always loud and always yelling and always. Yeah, fighting. yeah. You, you know definitely I mean? have to and preface so that for this episode. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And my mom, I can imagine her just sitting in the kitchen reading her newspaper, being like, "Shut up! <laughs> is she gonna stop yeah. screaming? Yeah, like when is this gonna stop?" So she finally came up, recognizing like, "Okay, something's wrong," because Megan right. didn't shut up yet. So. <laughs> And so we found out I was on my stomach. I lift my, my pant over my knee and my knee is definitely just jutting, jutting out, not of the skin, but you could just tell it's like popped out of the socket. And long story short, this is where this is going. I laid there for two hours because we didn't Stop. want to call an ambulance because of the cost. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. So I'm then how did joking. you fix it? I totally understand. So we had to wait for my dad to come home from work. I don't know why we must. One of the cars must have been like out okay, of commission okay. or whatever. So he must have been stuck Dude. in traffic. He's trying to hustle home from work. He finally gets there. I am a heavy <laughs> child. I've always been thick my whole life. So I'm just a heavy kid. So it'd be hard for me to, to lift my mom, yeah. my mom to lift me. So my dad finally gets there and lifts me. And as I like slowly maneuvering down the staircase, right. I try not to put any weight on my freaking <laughs> dislocated knee. As I'm finally almost getting into the car i feel it jiggle no. and it pops back in jiggle and i never Jesus go to the hospital <laughs> i never go to the hospital i'm just like it's in now so oh my god uh, we'll just avoid those hospital Megan, bills i've never heard that story in my life <laughs> yeah you never told really? me that oh, that's so awesome <laughs> that's a good one there's some additional details which i can yeah. tell you off the air but out of respect yeah. for manira i will not oh share manira you did some bad shit <laughs> that's so funny oh my gosh uh, she hates the story she hates the story when i tell it because she is always like embarrassed that it happened but you know bad. what it's life dude. that's what that's what sisters do that's Just what siblings do they rough each other up man it is what it is yeah i'm pretty sure that i okay manira when she was young she had sorry manira i'm telling the stories but this is when yeah. she's like mm-hmm. a child like really yeah, really really young she had a hernia Ouch. and I remember a couple years after, cause something that she even had to get mm. surgery for. I remember at, I was like, I don't know, four or something. I'm bouncing on the couch and Manira's on the ground. I literally, <laughs> I literally w- yeah, yeah. WWE. What is that? I Body literally WWE <laughs> off the couch, right into her <laughs> hernia. <laughs> oh my god no i mean not it totally was not intentional it wasn't like oh i knew you had a hernia a couple years back so i'm gonna slam into it but it was more of like i just jumped off the couch with my full body weight onto her and i definitely think i like you know kicked her in her and the area that oh my god at some point so i remember manira was like I, I think my brain just made this up, but I feel like she grabbed her crotch and was like, my hernia. But I doubt that happened. I doubt that Oh my that God, happened. that is so funny. Anyways. Okay. That's an aside. 
that's all to say, yes, uh, ambulances are a lot of money. And uh, if you let your child lay on the ground for two hours with their dislocated <laughs> dude, leg, I dude. don't blame you. That is hilarious. That is such a, like an Asian household thing to do. Like, we're not paying for that shit. <laughs> You're fine. No, but actually, I was going to I was gonna share. Yeah. I have a, there was a scenario when I was on the poison control rotation Actually, Megan, I don't know if you remember, I was telling you about this, but I was unclear or unsure whether I wanted to share on the podcast because it was really early days, whatever, whatever. But I feel like now I'm far away from that rotation that I feel comfortable sharing the story. But it was a possible fictitious disorder scenario that had come to the come through to the UCSD hospital. So story goes. Okay. So. When I was on the poison control rotation, there was a case that came in overnight. So it was a 10-month-old child. And obviously for HIPAA, I'm not going to say any Mm -hmm. names or whatever. I don't even have the names, so I can't even say it, even Mm. if I knew. Anyways, so this child was brought in multiple times, 10-month-old baby. And basically every couple Mm -hmm. of months, the baby would be admitted. And the baby would be admitted for the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it was the same kind of situation so sinus bradycardia meaning really low heartbeat or heart rate and then altered mental Mm -hmm. status so very Mm -hmm. confused lethargic um and then hyperthermia Mm -hmm. so really really like hot temperature of the baby okay so that was happening Mm -hmm. and the scenario at home was they're both kind of beachy beach bum type of san diegan parents like kind of hippy dippy Mm. i would say and relatively young they seem fine. Nothing's nothing's crazy. They also have a nanny. So every single time they would bring this mm-hmm. child in, same kind of scenario, same kind of scenario, same kind of scenario. But this time around, the baby comes mm-hmm. in, same baseline symptoms from before, but things are elevated mm-hmm. this time around. So the baby's now also vomiting. And that is a triggering mm-hmm. sign, especially when they're so young like that, that something more serious is going on. Mm-hmm. And their electrolytes, so across the board, like sodium, potassium, everything was kind of going haywire, right? But one thing in particular was mm-hmm. the potassium was super, super high. So the mm-hmm. upper range, I would say the upper limit of your potassium should be around five. Once you reach five, you're concerned, right? And I don't know the exact mm-hmm. number, but mm-hmm. I, it was high, it was pretty high, way too high, right? So basically, the baby had really mm-hmm. bad hyperkalemia. And so that triggered everyone to be like, huh, like something's not right. They're running every kind of lab under the sun and Mm. nothing was working. They could not figure out what was going on with this child. And unfortunately, the baby went brain dead. Very similar scenario because their brain was swallowing so Mm. much, literally the same thing. They're having, Mm. it's called cerebral edema. And then the baby went brain dead, unfortunately, and Mm -hmm. eventually Mm -hmm. died. So our tox fellow was the one that was working that night shift. And I talked about this before, but the tox team doesn't get called right away. First, the, the general medical team mm-hmm. will look at the situation, but they basically assessed it to the point where they're like, something's off, well, we can't tell what, and we need talks to come in now. So that is how mm-hmm. our talks fellow joined the situation. Mm-hmm. Our talks fellow comes on and it is immediate like, mm-hmm. something is not right, order a talk screening right now. Even though the baby is brain dead, just order it right now mm-hmm. before the child passes. They mm-hmm. order a talk screening and their digoxin level is through the roof. Digoxin is a heart mm. medication. Why the hell would a baby be on a heart mm. medication? So that was causing all kinds of red flags. They got Child Protective Service involved. They called the cops 
And so this talks fellow was debriefing the cops as well as child protective services on the situations like we potentially may have a situation on our hands where there was intentional mm. poisoning happening in the household or otherwise. And they checked with the household and no one in the house takes any kind of heart medications, according to the mm. parents. Potentially the nanny, the nanny is really into herbal supplements. Maybe the nanny was supplying something. We don't mm. know. I don't know the outcome of the mm-hmm. scenario, unfortunately, because I was gone after right, a few right. weeks. But it was just such an intense scenario trying to like suss out the parents yeah. and then the nanny and putting all those pieces together. You have to be so, so careful because what the Tox fellow was telling us was that the police were basically prodding mm. the mm-hmm. Tox fellow to be like, it was parents, right? Right, right, who, right. Like, who do we need to, who do we need to yeah. bring in Because right they're now? not on the clinical and the side. Fellow, they're just trying to figure no. out the investigative side like the exactly everyone has their role to play that's for sure but nothing is is as black and white as we want Mm -hmm. it to be especially when people's lives are at stake and you know reputation whatever it might be so the toxville had to be very clear and they were telling us they're like it was hard they were pressuring me to give an answer and i had to be like these are the facts Mm -hmm. and we are not sure Mm -hmm. yet that it does not implicate anyone at this point medically but i'm just telling you what is going on at this time and we will update you as things come right. in. But intense situation yeah. all around. That's my wow. story that's potentially fictitious. Yeah. That's I don't so know, devastating. I outcome. think that's a really great... I'm glad you brought that up, especially the the side of like how investigators uh, on the police, you know, authority side, they play their role. But then as on the actual clinical side, you have to be super, super strategic and mindful about how you like to give the facts. Okay, because this is going to tie into the toxicology side of this Garnet Spears murder story. So real quick, let's talk about acute salt poisoning, because if you didn't get it from the story, yeah. the poison in question <laughs> is salt. And when I say salt, I mean table salt, like something that you sprinkle on your food. Okay. Acute salt poisoning, the median lethal dose of table salt is roughly three grams per kilograms of body weight, which I had to, I was like, I need to figure out visually what that looks like, (laughs) right? Which according to Gizmodo is the equivalent of 47 teaspoons of salt. So if you were to eat 47 Uh, teaspoons of salt, you are at risk for acute salt poisoning and potentially death, okay? I feel like Chick-fil-A probably has like mm. roughly a third of that in just one sandwich. <laughs> Be careful I'm well on my way. how much fast foods items. It's very true. It's very true. <sighs> gotcha. Here's the thing. Salt poisoning is extremely, extremely rare and mm. most frequently encountered in children or infants who are made to consume excessive amounts of table salt. Right? So, Not only is salt poisoning rare, and usually it's those scenarios where, just like the Garnett's murder and poisoning, it has to do with children and infants, but deliberate salt poisoning is rare on top of that. Does that make sense? So salt poisoning itself is rare, but deliberately poisoning someone with salt is extremely rare. And to give you an idea of how rare it is, the data states that salt poisoning affects 0.3 to 1% of people in the hospital. And that's usually just babies, people with impaired mental statuses, or Uh the elderly. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this ties into 
what you were talking about the talks lead being pressured to like give the information of who done it who done it right in that investigation with the with the baby but because salt poisoning is so rare it's treated very similarly where like there was a whole medical journal article that i found that was like you have to be super mindful when you see what's called hypernatremia so okay Mm-hmm. hypernatremia so like, yeah hypernatremia so just to be clear salt poisoning is the act hypernatremia is what happens when you have acute salt poisoning mm-hmm. okay so when physicians see hypernatremia in children they have to be very careful with how they proceed because they recognize it's a rare thing and it might be deliberate but we cannot ultimately jeopardize the caregiver because that's usually that's usually who the authorities look to mm-hmm. when they see that right they're like yeah, it's yeah. a caregiver it's a caregiver right. but that's not that might not be the case so you have to mm-hmm. be very very tactful so i just wanted to essentially put that out there like nothing yeah. is as black and white in these investigations as you think it would be so hypernatremia it just means high concentration of sodium in the blood when there is too much sodium in the interstitial fluid that bathes our cells mm-hmm. water this is uh, this is bio 101 this is because this yeah, is what I, remember. Yes. I see i see the the cell and all that okay and there's too much salt in that interstitial fluid water will leave the cell the yeah. the blood cell or whatever whatever cells it's impacting to restore balance like so Correct. it leaves those cells by osmosis to restore balance this causes the cells to shrink so when water exits the cell the cell shrinks and that is dangerous to your health like that's just how it works that's the tox symptoms of hypernatremia include strong feelings of thirst weakness nausea and a loss of appetite so given these symptoms and the possibility that Lacey had been salt poisoning Mm. garnet since since so young Mm -hmm. it might have been low level hypernatremia if that makes sense like maybe these are what caused him to go into the hospital so many times the first year of life of like just the small symptoms of hypernatremia. Right. And having loss Severe, of appetite too. Right. Yes. It does cause loss of appetite. So severe symptoms of hypernatremia, however, include confusion, muscle twitching, get mm. this, seizures, and comas, or bleeding in or around the brain. So remember that one time when he was like, 10 weeks old or something that the doctors noted oh hey he has an a like a very high level of sodium in his blood mm-hmm. i think at that time he might have actually displayed some sort of seizure or whatever or you know confusion oh, or whatever okay. but that might have been because the dosage that was given was so high so yeah. that was that was a sign of severe hypernatremia and then obviously the one right before his death that was clear severe hypernatremia right because of high dosage of sodium in his feeding tube absolutely so hypernatremia just to like make things even more clear hypernatremia is defined when the blood sodium levels exceed 145 Mm -hmm. so once blood sodium levels exceed that normal state that's called hypernatremia yeah but there's a difference severe hypernatremia is when the blood the sodium blood levels exceed 160 Garnet was demonstrating hypernatremia blood levels of 180. So that's like beyond Jeez, severe. Geez, that's geez. like crazy. Yeah. Right. So I just wanted to give you an idea of like, yeah, what is that's severe horrible. and what is not. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
So the treatment for severe hypernatrivia is a very delicate process. This is because it involves the administration of free water into the body, both orally and intravenously, to correct the relative water deficit. So your cells are literally emptied out of all their water, so we're going to put free water back into you. However, the reason why it's such a delicate process is if you do this too rapidly or purely just intravenously, for example, you risk rupturing your Mm -hmm. red blood cells in the bloodstream due to the osmolarity issues or because your brain cells, for example, have already adapted to the higher sodium level and if you or the higher sodium concentration. And if you lower that concentration too rapidly, your brain cells can swell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a treatment. But if you've been seriously acutely poisoned, yeah. it's like a catch 22. Totally. You can't rapidly help because then your blood cells and brain cells will swell. At the same time, your brain swells already because you've been poisoned. Yeah. It's shitty. One yeah. one note on um, that. I want to emphasize this so much that mm-hmm. hyper mm-hmm. and hyponatremia as a diagnosis or something that can happen to you in the hospital or otherwise, it is so scary because it is so like what Megan has touched on very well. It's so hard to treat because mm-hmm. it's it's tricky. It's it requires a lot of finesse. It's not something that can happen right away. It's a slow process. And it's one that requires a lot of minute titrations, constant monitoring. One really, really quick anecdote. One of our uncles, Mm -hmm. he had hyponatremia and he was in the hospital Mm. for like two to three weeks just for that because Mm -hmm. it was so tricky to get it slowly back up to a level because it takes a lot of time. Right. This was 100% an education for me reading about all this because I was like, one, I've never thought of salt poisoning um, to this level, right? And I have never thought about like, how would you offset too much salt Mm -hmm. in your blood? And so, yes, that it just sounds um, horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And then another outcome, again, catch 22, another outcome of if you you do this treatment rapidly or inappropriately or rush, it could lead to further cerebral edemas, seizures, or brain damage, which is like, that's what's already happening to you anyways. So the last thing I wanted to say in just terms of the treatment side is oftentimes the free water that they put in your body to offset everything, it is either mixed with dextrose, aka sugar, or with some sort of saline. So yeah, so that's the, the treatment to acute salt poisoning. And then historically, within adults, the only other time you actually see salt poisoning from like a typically developing adult within a typically de- developing adult is um, people who were like out at seas mm. and drank seawater. <laughs> yes. That's where you see people die of a hypertrophia. Yes. So yeah. No, I, it, it totally makes sense because <laughs> mm-hmm. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. I was thinking about this when you were telling us how it's so rare. It is so rare because you have to think about mm-hmm. like who the heck is going to eat that much salt? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't taste good right. at all, obviously. And the right, reason why right. it was such a quote-unquote perfect crime, if you're looking at it through that true crime mm. lens for this story, is because he yeah. wasn't really tasting it because it was through his um, mm-hmm. G-tube, you know? It was all entering yep. directly to his stomach. And, oh, God, it's just so horrible. Right. It's so horrible. Wow. Yeah. Salt, um, salt, y'all. Yeah, it bums me out. Like, uh, this yeah. story bummed me Super out. Bummed. And I'm, I... Yeah. There's no redeeming comments no, no, no. here. That's that, the story. That is it. Like, and that's it. honestly, like, yeah. none, not mm-hmm. all of our stories are gonna, you know be rainbow and roses all day like this is real life man like shit like this happens and Mm -hmm. i think it's important to talk about it uh not that it would hopefully never happen in in our real lives but it's just good to know but it's Mm -hmm. funny that you're talking about salt today because earlier today i was Mm. 
watching or reading something and they were talking about how salt as a whole is one of like the coolest public health initiatives that we've taken in the United States and now kind of around the world because before Mm. salt like the way that we know it has iodine in it right like Mm -hmm, it says mm -hmm. iodized salt and before they did that a lot of people were getting hypothyroidism because where that comes from is a Mm. lack of iodide or iodine in your natural like supplementation Mm. of your body again all these Mm. electrolytes and elements are so important as a whole country as a public health initiative they decided to put iodine Mm. in our salt so that we could just naturally get it supplemented mm. and no one has to even worry about it, which is super, super cool. So we don't have to worry yeah. about that anymore, mostly. So interesting. You don't think about this stuff. And honestly, well, I have to say, this was like no. learning about electrolyte imbalances was probably the subject I mm. liked the least in school because it's mm. so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. There's so yeah. many, it's so yeah, yeah. finicky and minute changes you have to mm-hmm. make over such a long period of time. It's just, it's so hard to keep everything straight, but it's so important. My level of education when it comes to electrolyte imbalance is literally AP, I think it was AP, and no, it was AP bio, AP bio in high school that you cut the freaking uh, potato oh. slices and then you put some uh-huh. in a bowl of water yeah. with tons of salt and some in like a bowl of water with no salt or whatever. And you look at Love how it. that impacts Love the it. potato cells and one gets all shriveled because all the water in their mm-hmm. cells are going out to, you know, it's balance out the salty water. It's yeah. that's what I thought of. And that's why we don't yeah. deal with no salty mm-hmm. bitches either. <laughs> all right. We done here? <laughs> All right. well, we can, yeah, we can go into our uh, an- okay. Let's do our antidotes. Now. So my antidote is, oh, my antidote. Well, I guess it's kind of a future antidote, but my antidote is. Mm. Wait, I was gonna say an antidote last week. Remember Megan? And then I was like, why am I doing two antidotes oh, yeah, in yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, do you remember? I think my what oh yeah, my say. antidote was or is that we went to Big Bear and we had a really grand old time and nice. uh, yes. saved my parents That's from their awesome. horrible kayaking skills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love that story. Uh, and I love that antidote. That is so fun. My antidote, this is an antidote that I've had before. It it, liter- it has to do with working out again. But I am proud to say that I'm getting comfortable with running. Yes. Just, again, who knows? I might feel this way for the next couple of weeks. And then suddenly I'm like, fuck that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> right. But I'm always happy to hold on to that high yeah. of, especially because I am a person who really does not like running, but what I'm mm. trying to do is become consistent in a habit. You know, yeah, I'm not, totally. I'm not doing it because I'm like, I need to lose weight or whatever, but it's more of like, I want to be able to have the skill mm-hmm. to be comfortable to step outside and go for a run and yeah. not be miserable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So my, my antidote is basically like, I've been consistent with running recently and that that. uh, makes me happy yeah i love that because i think also it's about building up that endurance you know can i like continue can i keep going yeah all right am i gonna take us on out don't risk it for the salty biscuit yeah Yeah, yeah. i can't i don't want to make anything more there's no fun there's no fun in this this is not a fun outro yeah okay that's all right but we we love you poison pals we love you poison pals this was a hard (laughs) one to get through but we hope you enjoyed it nonetheless in the discussion aspect of it so we'll see you next time all right bye see you next time bye